0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: BBN, here we are again on another great Wednesday evening. Hope everybody is doing well. Welcome to another episode of Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy here. Terry Brown will be along any minute now. For the first time in a while, we got a Wednesday show that coincides with a Kentucky game day. We've had shows in the past, sometimes where the Cats are playing on a Wednesday. And TV and I have done the show, uh, and sometimes we get a tad distracted, We, you know, we're watching the game and we're doing the show, but uh, it is that same occurrence again, as it is on Wednesday, Kentucky's playing South Carolina at 6.30, so we are right up in here rolling until tip-off, uh, as Kentucky gets set to play South Carolina, what's going on, TV?
2: Oh, not a whole lot. Uh like you said, it's a rare Thursday or sorry, rare Wednesday game the cats are playing. Uh a, a weird kind of six thirty start and all that. So uh kind of an off night tonight. Yeah, it's been a little while. Uh it's happened
1: with time or two. Uh it seemed like they were playing Mississippi State one time a couple years ago on a Wednesday and uh we were on for the bulk of the show. Uh, and and did that a couple times, so yeah, it is weird. Uh, Kentucky has quite a few road games coming up. They're at South Carolina uh, tonight, at Arkansas Saturday. Six out of their next nine are on the road. Um, so that's a third of the SEC season, right there. You know, about eighteen games. So um, not. Hard teams, but it's tough on the road. No matter who you face, uh, we saw Duke last night lose to Clemson. Uh, so, and we've already seen how crazy this season is. So, uh, looking to see how the Cats handle this next little stretch.
2: Yeah, uh, it's T-shirt night <laughs> in South Carolina, <laughs> so uh, no surprise there. You know, all of the uh, all the talk of, of, of Kentucky being the Super Bowl, and we see. That they kind of are, so definitely uh, the Cats will have the opportunity to kind of build off the momentum. They've got a four-game win streak, so we'll see if that can continue. And nobody
1: is picking them to go 18-0 and 0 in the conference. you pick picking them to go 2-0 and 0 over this stretch of road games. We've seen South Carolina be tricky, playing them in Columbia. Uh, Arkansas can be tough no matter what. Um, did he go two and zero during this stretch? Or did they split him? just if you had to go on your gut you know, feeling, what do you think?
2: You know, in the in the macro in the big scheme, you know they're not going to go eighteen and zero. This team, I don't think, is built for that. But on the individual, with the way they're playing right now, you know, I can't really pick against them. So, uh, you know, I'm going to say two and zero, one and one wouldn't surprise me. Arkansas, I think, will be tough. Uh, on that back-to-back kind of thing. So uh, I just think starting tonight, I think they can gut it out and beat South Carolina because I'm not sure South Carolina is any tougher uh, than Georgia was last week, but but we'll see. Uh, Again, I think they'll drop a a couple of games in the the conference season, but it's just hard to look and say, okay, this one, this one, uh, that's kind of a tougher call to make.
1: And you got Arkansas coming on eight thirty ish after Kentucky and South Carolina go off. I think they're hosting Vanderbilt. Uh, I saw South Carolina a little bit Saturday. They came on. They played Tennessee and Knoxville. Uh, kind of during. I think that game started at one. Kentucky and Alabama started at twelve. South Carolina and Tennessee came on at one, and so you know kind of. Bled on into it. Watched a little bit of that after Kentucky went off, and that was just a rock fight. I think they, I think both teams got into the fifties barely. Tennessee won by one. South Carolina missed a bunch of free throws, or else they would have won. Uh, probably should have won. Uh, I'm. They couldn't throw it in the ocean in Knoxville. I'm sure they'll. They'll of course be jacked up, like you said. It's already T-shirt nights. So we know they'll be uh, primed and ready to play better. Um, but they 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 don't score a lot. They play tough defense, but but shooting and hitting free throws is not their thing. Uh, so if, if Kentucky is locked in, they should be able to you know put up enough points to to get out of there with a win. Um, but I know, of course, we got about twenty four twenty five minutes till tip off. Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. Brought to you by Smoky Mountain Trader. I know you're also hyped uh, because this weekend you got another Final Four that you be keeping your eye on with your 49ers. Last weekend, Kentucky beat Alabama, and then you just go right on into watching your Niners play the Vikings. You're already on Twitter talking about how fired up you are, and now they are in the Final Four NFC title game, rematch against the Packers, who they beat earlier. So I know you're just dying to Exude excitement about your what is it red and
2: gold? Is it great, you know, they're back to the back to the red and gold. Absolutely, I'm I'm stoked. I'm excited. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I thought that this team was a year away. Uh, when you look at, they, were, they only had what like three wins, I think last year. Jimmy G was coming back from injury. I mean, we had the number two overall pick for a reason. The team wasn't very good last year. Uh, so, going into the season, I kind of temper my expectations. Uh, you and I have talked about on this show, as the as they got to 8-0 and 10-0 on the season, just uh, kind of where I was mentally. And I wasn't quite ready to jump on in, uh, to be honest with you. But now, here we are, we may as well go to the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> uh, you know, once you get to the playoffs, <laughs> you're the number one overall seed, I think – uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm all in, you know, you know, even though in my head, I'm kind of saying that, you know, I thought next year was going to be the year. If if we're here, we might as well do it. So I am very excited to play the, the Vikings tough. Uh, a lot of folks picking against the Niners were choosing the Vikings. And my thing was, are you really going to go with Kirk Cousins on the road in the playoffs and back-to-back games like that? You, you really think he's going to be able to deliver. Uh, but the defense is, is great uh, for the 49ers. Uh, I think they had like five sacks, uh, and a lot of pressures on uh, Saturday. Uh, Richard Sherman was able to get an interception. And offensively, just able to run the ball. You know, they've got uh, uh, three different running backs. They let them all go, and whoever's a hot hand, that's, that's who they ride, and that's been the recipe. Uh, so I still feel that they'll, they're able to do it uh, because they got a lot of guys back, you know, keep in mind, uh, Staley, Joe Staley, uh, left tackle, missed, you know, 14 games this year. Wow. And he's back and he's fully healthy. Uh, wow. So the 49ers are, are getting, yeah, they're getting healthy at the right time uh, where a lot of teams were, were are getting kind of get banged up at the end of the year that, Forty ers were banged up in the middle, and now guys are coming back. So, I still feel confident. It's, it's at Levi Stadium, uh, which bizarrely the Forty ers of is the first time they hosted a playoff game since twenty twelve last week, which seems odd, but uh, makes sense when you look at it. And, and I'm I'm feeling really really good about it.
1: So, Lucas. Been a while since I've had a, a team in this position. You know, Jason Garrett was not able to get a team to the NFC title game, even when he had home field throughout. He would get the bye and then lose the divisional round. So, back when Dallas was in this position, uh, I remember you know they they would come out and handle business against you know Green Bay or Philadelphia, whoever in a divisional round. You and I both remember those NFC title games against, you know, Cowboys and Niners. That's the game I would always be, like, hyperventilating for, for that NFC title game. You're in the Final Four. I don't really remember being that nervous in a divisional round. Um, they usually, you know, dominated, you know, good Eagles and Packers teams, whoever they faced. But I was always – Nervous before that game against the Niners, no matter what, you know, in, in San Francisco, in Dallas, no matter what. Were you sweating the Vikings? Were you calm and cool? Or did you have that little nervousness since it's been a while since they have been in this position? And are you going to be more nervous Sunday? What's, how were you Saturday? I wasn't nervous how do you all. think you'll be Sunday? I
2: Saturday, I was hanging out with my friend Jack, who you've had on the uh, show before. Uh, I, he'll tell you, I was I was relaxed. 49ers, they came out, scored that first touchdown. I said, okay. Uh, then I think the Vikings came down. They got a touchdown. And then the 49ers, once it went into halftime, but I was pretty laid back uh, most of that game. I assumed the 49ers would win and win really easy, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, now, come Sunday... <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm nervous right now because this this is yeah. this is going to the Super Bowl. So you know, and although I do think the Forty ers will win, uh, you know they they played the Packers earlier and were really able to uh, cause trouble uh, and put pressure on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's still Aaron Rodgers, right? You know, we have all seen. Uh, your Cowboys have been victim to it. My Niners have been a victim to. Uh, Aaron Rodgers doing amazing things in regular season and in the playoffs. Uh, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not going in like I was going to, like we're playing Kirk cousins, mind you, but I, I do feel <laughs> that the 49ers, I, I feel that they're going to win and go to the Super Bowl. You know, I, I, I've said that, uh, kind of like when we look at the Kentucky basketball team, there's no team left. I'm scared to play. You know, I think I said that at the beginning of the playoffs, whether it was Seattle, who the 49ers split with in the regular season or whether it was New Orleans who the 49ers beat in New Orleans in a shootout to show that, yeah, we can score points too, or it's Green Bay who we've already beat this year. Uh, And even on the AFC side, I know we'll talk about the games in detail, but Baltimore didn't scare me. For as great as Lamar was, the game in Baltimore was a last-second field goal. When you look statistically at his games, His worst game was against San Francisco. So a lot of those losses were last second, you know, field goal in overtime. uh, The 49ers lost to uh, Seattle. Uh, Field goal in overtime, uh, or not in overtime, but the last second field goal against the Ravens. Uh, Last second touchdown pass uh, against uh, the Falcons. So the 49ers were in every game. And I know close doesn't count, but that, to me, said they didn't get blown out. Nobody was. Do- there wasn't anything they couldn't do, and they won in a, a variety of different ways. So, to answer your question, I'm nervous about it now because again, it is the Super Bowl, and I definitely want to see mm-hmm. the, the Niners back into the Super Bowl to to win that Super Bowl because uh, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while since we've won, so I'm I'm excited about getting back. Yeah. It is.
1: There, the second game Sunday is the Chiefs and Titans first, and then Niners Packers.
2: Yeah, the Niners Packers are the are the uh, late game.
1: Okay, so that's man, crazy to believe it's already that time of year. <clears throat> I, <laughs> Niners and Packers. I mean, my God, I couldn't care less. Literally. Because I don't care for either one of them And one of them are going to be in the Super Bowl So it's just It is what it, it is it, um,
2: it, it, And you know There's going to be the narrative There's the clip uh, Aaron Rodgers grew up in California Went to Cal uh, You know and, and, uh, There's that clip of him at that draft with uh, When Alex Smith went number one Overall to the Niners And, and Aaron Rodgers Said he took it personally that the 49ers didn't draft him, and so I saw because you know I follow a lot of Green Bay fans, and that has floated across my social media world. And uh, I mean, that's great. He's using that as motivation, but this isn't the first time that they Packers the and Niners have played in the playoffs. Okay. Uh-huh. Aaron Rodgers is 0-2 in the playoffs against the Niners. I mean, maybe the third time is a charm, but but you can't say, oh, he's going to get his revenge. No, he already had his shot. <laughs> and, and, and was, was thoroughly outplayed uh, by Colin Kaepernick in 2012 and really 2013. Uh, the 49ers won it uh, at the stick uh, back then, and then the next year they won at uh, Lambeau Field. So uh, there's going to be some narratives out there, but that one shouldn't be won. Maybe you can say the, the Packers are due for <laughs> – he's due for his revenge now. <laughs> but the 49 beat you on the oh. way to the Super Bowl already, so you know that—that that to me is kind of kind of blocked. And
1: I mean, the 49 Nineers just—they just smothered them. I mean, I you know it, it'll be—you know—no game is the same, but they just kind of smothered them and, and and just overwhelmed them when they played earlier in the year. Wasn't uh, it thirty to eight, or it was it was out of hand
2: pretty quick it, it was 20 it was 20 nothing right before halftime it was never particularly close uh, but 49ers what they do with their front uh, their front uh, I would say the front seven uh, really it's, it's just immense pressure uh, you know one of my talking points is always okay what are you going to hang your hat on and I talked about for a stretch there the 49ers front office didn't look like they had any idea what they were doing. But they drafted a lot of speed guys, and and once they can uh, – they get after you and they make you pass that ball, uh, and, and you know, the cliche is pin the ears back and just let them loose, that's when the 49ers are, are, are devastating. So the pressure is really on the Packers' offensive line. Can the Packers' offensive line give Rodgers enough time? Because he's mobile, but the – but but Bosa and those guys Armstead, uh, those guys D Ford, those guys are fast, and when they get to you, they hit you, and and that's been the hallmark of this 49 er defense is they get you and they hit you and you you know that's that that's the thing. So, uh, but the, the the flip side of that is uh, Jimmy G he got his money. He was the so called heir apparent. Uh, to Brady uh, before Brady had him shipped off uh, out of New England. He's going to have to make some throws. Uh, You know, what happened on Saturday, once uh, he threw that interception, uh, the Vikings got that interception, the next, like, 20 plays, there were 15 rushes for only five passes, and the passes were just kind of short little dump-offs. So he's going to have to make some throws. Uh, The Packers' defense, the Darius Smith, uh, he's a bad boy. So uh, Jimmy G is gonna. There's some things he's gonna have to do. Uh, I think the running game uh, for the 49ers can do well, but Jimmy G is gonna have to make some throws, and whether that's to Kittle uh, or whoever, Bourne has got. He caught some passes, but he dropped some passes on Saturday. So these guys have really got to be sharp uh, if the if the game can be comfortable, which I hope it is. Give give me a 20 point game going to the fourth quarter, and I'll start to feel a little confident.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think they had some you know, media obligations. I flipped a little bit of them on NFL Network. I saw Mahomes was talking, and so, you know, all the teams are having, like, press conferences and stuff. And I just saw a quote from Jimmy G, something to the effect that his knee injury, he said it was a blessing in disguise because, you know, him being out that year, it gave them a number of one or two pick or whatever they were, and it got us boasted. He said, so I call that a pretty fair trade. So, and and he has had a great rookie season.
2: Yeah, so I, I'm I'm excited about it. I know being a Cowboys fan, you're you're not cheering for the Packers or uh, the Forty ers because I think this would, you know, if the Packers were to win, this would give them five Super Bowls and 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 pie the Cowboys and Forty ers winning would give us six, uh, leaving the Cowboys uh behind a little bit. So uh you know I'm 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 excited. Uh, I hope obviously I hope we can beat the Packers and win win the Super Bowl. Uh you know, that's that's part of my trifecta on my sports teams this year.
1: And I'll end up watching. I always do you know, even if, because it's the playoffs, you know, if, if my team is out, I just still like watching through the end of the season. i end up watching both of the games and seeing who's going to be in the Super Bowl. I always end up watching the Final Four. If Kentucky's not in it, you know, watch the Finals. If the Rockets aren't in it, watch the World Series. If the Braves aren't in it. So I'll end up watching. Uh, I hope, well, you don't want to hear it. I hope it'll be a better game than the, 30 to 6 or 8, whatever beatdown it was, but you're definitely not wanting that at all. You want to comfortably be able to exhale and and have that blowout heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, I'll watch and hope for a good game. Uh, Same thing with the Titans and the Chiefs and, and crazy that is. The Titans have already beaten the Chiefs earlier in the regular season so you got a rematch there as well and you know, nobody had the Titans, and I don't care anything about them. You know, I was a huge fan of theirs the other day when they beat New England, as was all of America. Uh, but nobody had them in the NFL Final Four either in the AFC title game going up against Mahomes. Everybody saw that. You know, you know, most people thought Baltimore or New England would be on the other side
2: again. But Titans and Chiefs, and that's what we got. Well, and, it, and it's all about execution at this point. Uh the Titans, once they put uh, – oh, the quarterback's name slipping my mind. Oh, my goodness. Tannehill. Yeah, once they put they, Ryan Tannehill and said, this is – once they said, this is what we expect you to do, we're going to run the ball and you're going to uh-huh. have these kinds of opportunities. Uh, again, really, for any team, it's all about identity. And uh, I read something, I can't remember air. Uh, but the difference between playoff uh, game preparation and regular season preparation, uh, and I can't remember where it was, see if I can find it, but basically the, the thing is during the regular season, your game plans, your what you want to do is 80% focused on your team and only 20% you may do something for your opponent. In the playoffs, it's 100% your opponent. So you can break down just the minute details of what your opponent is going to do and you can really focus on that. And that's what we saw well we have seen from the Titans so far. Uh, their game playing against uh, New England was Tom Brady can't get the ball down the field like he used to. So you play to you play to that. And that's what they that's what they do. You keep it you keep the, the game kinda uh, close. And then Derrick Henry, no one wants to talk to, uh, tackle <laughs> that man. Nobody wants to talk to him. But but you know the fourth quarter, nobody wants to tackle him. You reach a point where you're tired of tackling someone, and we've seen running backs get to that position or that situation before, where the opposition you just get tired of tackling. So uh, they're able to beat uh, able to beat New England, and then you look at the Ravens and. Uh The whole thing about Lamar, he's overrated, you know, we allow some athletes, this is me getting on my soapbox, but we allow some athletes and, and just people in general to become symbols more than more than people. and I'm guilty of that as well. Like for me, Lamar Jackson and the criticism he got uh, before the draft and kind of right as he got drafted. even though he went to Louisville, I kind of adopted him because of all of the, uh, I mean, hate and and racism my dad talked to me about as far as black quarterbacks. You know, everything they said about Warren Moon and, and, you know, even Randall Cunningham and all these guys, even guys that didn't get a chance to play in the NFL, got wrapped up in Lamar Jackson. So I'm coming from that perspective. And then you got other people that feel that a running quarterback is not going to be able to win a Super Bowl. Even though we've seen mobile quarterbacks get to a Super Bowl and play well, Cam Newton played well, uh, even my man Steve Young, pretty mobile, played well. Uh, Steve McNair came a yard short in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, so it's not like mobile quarterbacks, running quarterbacks can't be successful. They can't. But whatever side of Lamar you're on, you're really, you know, both sides are kind of dug into their belief system. So Lamar has a subpar game for him. I know the numbers were there, but a lot of that was after the game had been decided. So you get people out of the woodwork that use this one game as a marker either way, either he's going to be good or he's trash. You know, that's that's the world we live in right now. You know, his second year in the, in the league, he's an MVP, but his second year, he, his second playoff game, he doesn't play well, and people are writing him off. Well, you know, I'm old enough mm-hmm. to remember <laughs> when Michael Jordan was never, ever going to win. I don't know if you remember that, yeah. but after the beatdowns from the Celtics, beatdowns from the Pistons, the, the, the talk was, even after his 63-point game, the Bulls lost that game, Is he's a great scorer, but the way he plays ball won't translate into championships. Right? We, we've all seen that. We've seen where in the NBA as well we talk about look at uh the Golden State Warriors. You can't win a championship with a jump shooting team, right? That was the that was the idiom or axiom, whatever forever and ever. Jump shooting teams can't win. That's what they said. So for people just to see Lamar Jackson, see his season and just automatically think the Ravens are never going to be able to win like that, I think is is, is foolhardy. I think is mistaken. Uh, I I think you can't write off a kid at 23 because we don't know. You know, he may never get to a Super Bowl, but there's so many things that go into that. I I don't think you can get style of play. You know, if that was the thing, there wasn't a better drop back passer than Dan Marino. Mm Mm-hmm he only went to the one Super Bowl. And at that point, everybody said, well, of course he'll be back. Well, you know, it doesn't always work like that. So right. wherever you feel, wherever you are about Lamar Jackson, it really says more about you and what baggage you're bringing to the conversation than really about this young man and his talent. So that's probably the nicest thing I'm going to say about a former local <laughs> Cardinal. But uh, the Titans were able to execute their game plan Keep Lamar running uh, horizontal instead of vertical. Horizontal to the line of scrimmage, not vertical. Keep him wide. Make him make those tough, deep out throws. Uh, I believe that's where they got one of the interceptions on. And I know the other one was tipped, but he fumbled. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things. You know, and the biggest thing for me of that game, it wasn't Lamar's play. It was like 14-6 to six at halftime. And the Ravens came out in the second half and just started passing the ball. Like, what are you doing? This isn't what you do. What, what, you know, they just started passing. They got pass happy. And I said to, I said to, to Jack, uh, who was watching this game, I said, there's no way Lamar Jackson needs to throw 40 times a game. He, he, that doesn't need to happen, especially when the game was still closed with time to go. You can still play your game down one score in the second half. And I think the Ravens got away from that, and and that's what happened. But give credit to Tennessee. They executed their game plan well. Derrick Henry is a battering ram. The clip I like is Earl Thomas was talking about how, you know, the Patriots were scared to tackle uh Derek Henry and Derrick Henry gave him a stiff arm and turned it into a lead blocker on that run. So you know, be, be careful what you say or else you might end up on the highlight film. And uh on the flip side, uh the Houston Texans uh wow. I didn't think it was possible. But that what we saw was probably worse than the Oilers being up uh the thirty points to, to Buffalo. Like that just You know, and I don't want to rub salt into your wound, but but Houston, what's going on, man? If you are a Houston sports fan, <laughs> like like what you, you watch the Texans do that, and we'll talk about the Astros and and to rub a little salt in your wounds. This is harkening back to the the Rockets shoot uh, missing twenty seven straight three pointers a couple of years ago in the <laughs> like, oh come on, Houston fans. Y'all just need a hug, man. Just need a hug. Like, what is... <laughs> but, but the thing, like, when you look at comebacks like that, and I'm sorry I'm ramming all over, uh, but a comeback like that, the other team has to help, right? Like for everything that the Chiefs were doing, Patrick Mahomes are doing, like the, the Texans have to play into that. Like if you look back at uh, the Wildcats, Kentucky coming back in '93 against LSU. They came back from 31, and the second half, LSU had a lot to do with that. Like LSU started playing panicky turnovers, bad shots. Started playing fast because if LSU just held the ball for 35 seconds on the shot clock, they win the ball game. <laughs> like if they just held the ball and didn't do anything, they win. So teams do things. To 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 really speed up their own demise, and I thought that's what the that's what the Texans did. And then once it starts snowballing, it's really hard to stop. And you know, Patrick Mahomes yeah. is a bad man. He's he's a he's a bad man that you do not want to give a, a, a little opening to. So uh, that's that's yeah, that's my playoffs uh, right there.
1: <laughs> exactly, and when it. You know, twenty-four to nothing, and then you're down four at the half. I mean, how how deflating is that? Like you said, that might have been worse than Oilers and Bills because that one at least took the whole game. You know, it it might have it. I may mean, it was more excruciating because it they got killed slowly. You know, Warren Moon and those guys. This as soon as they got the lead, it was gone. Uh, you know, by halftime, you're trailing. That has to be just it, demoralizing.
2: Yeah, and uh, my roommate uh, was that when I was at UT. was from Buffalo, and he loved to tell the story. He was at that game, at the Oilers comeback game, and so basically, uh, his dad took him and his brother. Uh, he was he like I said he's from Buffalo. And, like, their Christmas present, birthday present was to go to this game, was to go to this Buffalo game. And he said, you know, the, the Oilers get out to the big lead, and people start leaving. So they're sitting <laughs> at the very top of of the stadium, and they come down. Because everybody's leaving, and his dad and his brothers are like, hey, we're going to, you know, we paid for these tickets. It's still a thing. Well, then they start coming back. Then the Bills start coming back. So they shut the gates and didn't let people back in because by the time it got in the fourth quarter where the Bills, you know, had that lead for a little bit for it went to overtime, people were trying to get back in, and they can't. He's like, look at the clips, and you see around the field it's filled up, but at the top because people were gone, and everybody started coming down. So he he tells a lot better than I do, but, uh, man, this is just – this is just – It's brutal. Like I don't know, at halftime, you've done everything so well, you had that lead, if you're the Texans, and then it's just it's just gone. I I don't know. I don't know how you bounce back from that. Uh, Yeah, we talk about the 28-3 lead. You know that the Falcons had (laughs) in the Super Bowl. Like you have to help with that. Like, If they had just run the ball, like just run the ball, on every first down. I think I've seen someone break it down, you know, if you factor in how much a running play – like the, the the Patriots would have not gotten enough possessions to come back on that game. So yeah, there's things that exactly. you do to kind of spell your own, uh, own demise, that you're up by a lot, and then, you know, you, you start doing things that just don't make any sense. You try to get too cute. And that's the biggest problem, I think, when it comes to the playoffs when it comes to postseason sports at any level, managers, coaches, uh, they get too cute. They they go away from what brought them there. Case in point, Pete Carroll, Super Bowl a couple years ago. You have got Ooh. to give Marshawn Lynch that basketball, or that football. You've got to give it to him. If the Patriots stop that beast mode at the one-foot line for the Super Bowl, you tip your hat and you move on. You give them the ball. You know, my only knock on Coach Cal is in the tournament, I think he gets tight. If it's a tight game, he, start, he takes the air out of the ball. And I love what John Calipari does. But that's my biggest gripe, even the games we win.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, we
2: were, uh, we were beating the brakes off Kansas in the 2012 Final Four, beating the brakes off of them. And then Cal puts up his fist, and we start – Going deep into the shot clock, which we have not done all year, and it totally messes up the rhythm. Now, Kansas put some of that game pressure on, and thank God for Michael Kidd-Gilchrist uh, making the Kansas player yeah. you know double pump that shot and get you know. So coaches get away from that. You know, if you're a Seattle fan and and, and Marshawn Lynch gets stuffed on the goal line, hey tough loss but you can live with that. I don't think you can live with throwing the ball in that situation. You know that's that, that's the that's that's the thing. So uh coaches they just try to be too cute and and too and, and too and try to overthink things. Uh, you know I think that's what happened with Atlanta. You know, my coach now, Kyle Shanahan, uh, I think he tried to get too cute on twenty eight three. And 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 that Tom Brady was Michael Myers like hey, you got to cut off the head man like you can't if you're trying to beat that that guy you've got to be bold. When you look at how the uh, how Eli Manning and the uh, Giants were able to beat uh, the, the Patriots twice, they were bold. Uh, everybody remembers the helmet catch in the first Super Bowl. I think the catch from Eli to Mario Manningham. On the sideline in the second Super Bowl, he dropped that in a that that was a throw. You yeah. got to you that was a big time throw. You've got to be bold if you're going to win in these situations. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's my that's my thing.
1: Kentucky I, up four to nothing. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. Kentucky up four nothing. South Carolina. Trouble scoring, as advertised so far. Um, so Cal is on the refs early. It's just something about being in Columbia. Uh, already got me wondering if he's gonna finish the game because he's on them,
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, you know we we know he's had some less than forty minute games in Columbia before. <laughs> um, but to go back to. Uh, you know the narrative about you know running quarter quarterbacks in the Super Bowls and things like that. Um, if you want to get technical, you know, like like you had the year, you know, it was Bears and Colts, uh, Tony Dungy being the first black head coach to win a Super Bowl, and you, it was going to happen because it was Tony Dungy against Lovey Smith. This NFC and AFC Championship game you've got quarterbacks who all are mobile. None of those guys are are statues. I mean Tannehill can can move. I don't I mean you wouldn't consider him like Lamar Jackson, but he is not a stiff. He's you know, he's more dual threadish than he is just straight drop back. Um we know Patrick Mahomes can move. He's mobile, he's dual threat. Your boy Jimmy G, even though he did just come off of that knee injury, he can move and run as well. And and Aaron Rodgers, even though he's you know in the latter part of his career, he still got some wheels too. So technically, we can maybe say a dual threat running quarterback is going to win a Super Bowl, no matter who wins it. Yeah, you know, in, in, in and
2: and narratives, and that's the thing too is. Uh, I read so much stuff about mobile quarterbacks. and it, Look, uh, things change. You know, I, I remember growing up, you know, when had to run and shoot, and it was a gimmicky offense, and they said the quarterback doesn't need to throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. But, yes, that's what we typically see the Bradys and the Breezes and the Mannings and the Fars have done the last five or six years. It was with a lot of success. They're they're different, you know. There's no right way to win. You just have to look at your personnel and figure out what's going to work for you. That's why you can't be definitive. If you go back far enough, there were people saying the forward pass won't work in in football. That was a new thing. So so things change. They, They absolutely change, and it's all about finding what works, for your personnel, and, and that's where uh, when you look at what Harbaugh has done with Lamar Jackson, it's rare that you see someone say, look, I'm not married to one way or the other. Look, let's look at the talent and see how we can be successful. Not too many coaches do that on the pro or the collegiate level. It's they have their mindset, and, and you will do X, Y, and Z. So it's refreshing to see a, uh, a coach, a, a, an organization, kind of retool around somebody. I, I think the 49ers were headed in that direction, uh, but then the, the Jim Harbaugh said kind of the wheels fell off there. Uh, but, yeah, and I think you have to be mobile uh, anymore. With the way defenses are, you need a quarterback that can at least move around in the pocket. You can't be a statue back there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So um, definitely going to be fun to see what happens in the NFL's Final Four, AFC, NFC title games. Uh, it took you out to a 6 nothing lead. Um, the only way they, you know, lose this is if they help South Carolina. They'll have to just turn it over. They'll have to, you know, shot clock violations and turnovers that lead to easy buckets. Because South Carolina's still sitting on that donut almost five minutes in. Just keep building this lead and, you know, make this be over before it starts. That's what Kentucky's trying to do. Up eight nothing. Maxie with a nice floater. Well. uh,
2: So. We're going to talk about the championship, the championship game? Yeah, because,
1: and, you know, I'm an SEC guy, so I'm glad to see the SEC do it, LSU. I'm all SEC except for, you know, Tennessee. That's why I can't just, I can't, you know, be pulling for conference love when it comes to them. But LSU essentially not as not as not as thorough but essentially did to Clemson what the Chiefs did to Houston you know it was what Kansas City went on a 51 to 7 run after getting down 24 to nothing LSU goes on a 35 to 8 run after being down 17 to 7 um just thoroughly controlled the game. Once they kind of took a couple punches and, and adjusted to Clemson bringing that blitz right up the middle and you know, started getting some quick throws and all that, they once they controlled the game, it was over. It didn't seem like it at the time. You know, he thought Clemson was going to have a comeback, and they did cut it to three at 28-25, but it was, it was over. Uh, and I was glad to see LSU cap it off. You know, after they beat Alabama, if they're going to win the West, I'm like, well, I hope they don't stub their toe and, you know, lose to Texas A&M or somebody down the stretch. They didn't. Got to the SEC championship game, went ahead and beat Georgia, and then took care of business in the playoffs. Well, they just beat the dog out of Oklahoma and then dominated Clemson. Just 15-0, <laughs> and 0, all the top 10 teams they beat, I think five or six top 10 teams, and the margin of victory yeah. in those games, Uh, you got Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, like, 2 of 11 on third down. It was some horrendous conversion rate, which never happens to them. It just totally took him out of his game, and he's been lights out. Since he set foot on the Clemson campus, I mean, he got Kelly Bryant, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Kelly Bryant's in Missouri. He's in the SEC playing against Kentucky because of Trevor Lawrence who already won a title, won 29 games in a row, and for LSU to do that to him. Coach O, who was on the scrap heap, you know, we saw him struggle at Ole Miss. USC didn't want him, you know, as a, you know, they could have hired him, didn't want him, to see him go back to his home state and and put this type of season together where LSU fans don't have to just say, well, you know, we won in 07, but we were 10-2. We we lost to Kentucky. And Les Miles was still kind of, yeah, and there were still some Nick Saban players on that team, so that look, they can't say any of that now with what Coach O did
2: this year. Yeah, so, uh, and, and we can talk about, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's one of the best seasons ever. Okay, we, it, they, they're they're in that conversation. I think. uh Yes, they did play a lot of top ten teams, they did play a lot of games, I that's that's fantastic. But you have to look things in context. Some of those great teams of yesteryear did not have that opportunity. Right. You know, even going back as far as the BCS, the BCS it probably would have been Clemson first uh well, you know, BCS days top two would have been Ohio State and L S U. But you wouldn't have that playoff game in between to do what they did to Oklahoma. So you look at Joe Burrow, fantastic season, 60 touchdowns, six interceptions, Heisman Trophy, ridiculous. I mean, you couldn't do that on a video game, right? That's just insane. And to do it against the level of competition that he's playing. And for years we have seen LSU have stellar defenses. For years we have seen them have stellar skill position guys. And I remember having a conversation with some LSU fans saying, look, if you ever get a quarterback, look how good LSU can be. I mean, keep in mind Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, played at LSU, right? You know, you look at all these skilled guys, mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette. Just look at these guys that they've had, but the quarterback play hasn't been there, whether they haven't developed them or what have you. So you finally get Coach O, go Tigers. And uh, he turns the keys, the offense, over, and then he just says, hey, y'all do your thing, and and this is what LSU has. So uh, LSU is just – LSU, you know, and that's the thing I I do like about college sports is you get a team that's very much tied to that region, tied to that state. Like Louisiana is LSU football. It, it, It just is. And, and just to see how they've embraced that. Like Coach O, I know he struggled at Ole Miss and, and he didn't do great at USC. He was meant to coach LSU. Like he he was just – he was meant to do that. Sometimes you just see a, a coach and a team come together and it's meant to happen. And and Coach O is, is up there. Uh, but the way they were just able the, – the Tigers were able to just dominate uh, Clemson. Uh, there's something to be said for the route LSU had to take to get there. You know, going to Alabama and beating Alabama—that's a—that's a big deal. Alabama with Tua—that's a huge deal. Uh, so getting that and using that momentum to keep plowing forward—so uh, a great season. I put them up there with 2001 Miami. Uh, 1995, Nebraska, 4 USC, teams that I've seen that uh, kind of stand out as universally great. Uh, You know, I think Nebraska gets overlooked a little bit because everybody kind of falls in love with passing and a quarterback that's standing back there looking good. But Tommy Frazier was a heck of a football player. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I put that up there. Uh, You know, Cam Newton, as great as he was, uh, Bomani Jones points out, who else on that Auburn offense plays the NFL? Zero. Like, nobody. So, I think Burrow, you could say, had the best passing season, but, but best season overall, you know, I'm going to go lead Cam Newton. You know, but but that's just splitting hairs, and that's it's fun to do after a team wins a championship. But LSU this season, I mean, they checked off a lot of boxes, an awful lot of boxes.
1: Yeah, and it, it, you know, you, and it's, this is just the way it is. It's always everybody with these, you know, as soon as the final buzzer sounds, you got too early stuff for next year and rankings and polls and recruiting classes aren't even done. And now the whole transfer portal, you don't know who's going to be where. There's still coaching positions, you know, trying to be filled, but yet, they come out with all these rankings and stuff. If LSU is losing a ton, so, I mean, basking in the glow with this, Joe Burrow was only going to be there for a year. Uh, you mentioned the struggles that LSU had historically in trying to find the quarterback. A lot of it, you know, people were frustrated with Les Miles because, you know, he still tried to just line up in the I formation and just power run everybody every single week, and, you you know, we would just catch up with him. Not able to do that week in and week out. This isn't the first time LSU tried to get a quarterback. Remember back, I think Miles was still there. They were able to get what Zach Mettenberger transferred in from Georgia. He was a big-time pocket passer, supposedly going to give them that passing option to go with the run and the defense and be that missing piece. So they've been trying for years. Uh, is this year a perfect storm? Maybe. You know, you're losing a lot of these receivers, a lot of guys going pro. Joe Brady, who wasn't even the offensive coordinator, Emsminger uh, or whatever is OC, but the Joe Brady comes in to be the passing game coordinator to work with Joe Burrow, and it worked out beautifully. You already mentioned 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. It's just a ten to one touchdown interception ratio. That's the nothing nothing special TV, just ten to one. But he's already moved on to the Panthers. So he was just there for one year. So Coach O's gonna have a lot to replace. Uh Alabama's not gonna be dropping off the face of the earth. So just enjoy it, LSU fans. Uh and that's hard to do. I, I I say it often, you know, as soon as banner eight was still sweating in, in the Raptors, everybody was hollering about let's win number nine. So I hope they enjoy it and savor it. Uh you know, if you don't win it for another couple of years or so still you you can't unsee what just happened with what this team did. And all year long you kept hearing, well, LSU's defense is you know, it's not, you know, it's not up to snuff. This offense is great because, well, this defense allowed them to win the title. And the defense just gradually kind of quietly got better. Uh, who was I listening to? Uh, I think it was Cole Kubelik or somebody said, the last four quarterbacks LSU faced. And you got Jalen Hurts in there. You got Trevor Lawrence uh, from at Georgia. And then Kellen Mond, I think, at Texas A&M the last four QBs they faced, and they did not allow a passing touchdown. And this is from a defense that supposedly wasn't good enough to allow them to be able to win national championship. So, I mean, just all across the board, like you said, they checked a lot of of boxes.
2: Yeah, so you tip your hat, uh, you tip your hat to them. Uh, You know, I'm not really a big conference guy. We talked about that earlier. But, this is, a, this is something that is interesting. National titles by conference in the BCS and college football playoff era, okay? Pac-12, one title. Big East, one title. Big 12, two titles. Big 10, two titles. ACC, four titles. And number one, the SEC, 12 titles. Now, I'm not going to beat my chest and say, okay, SEC, SEC, SEC. I mean, yes, if I'm watching the game, I wanted LSU to win. I'm going to point out that in bowl games, uh, the SEC went 9-2 and two this last bowl season with CBS and the belt bowl that Kentucky won up until last night, probably even with last message game was still the most competitive, uh, most entertaining bowl game. I put a tweet out that said, if this was ACC men's basketball and they had this, 12 out of 20, we would never hear the end of it. That's the only thing I'm putting out in the world that for everybody that says ACC, blah, 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 I mean, the proof is right there. The proof is right there. Well, SEC buys, blah, 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 blah. Look, for for those 12, most of the time, the SEC was beating the crap out of whoever they were playing. You know, like Florida, Ohio State. I think it was, that was the 06, you know, BCS. Like they're beating the brakes off everybody. So, uh, yeah, you know, the SEC's best is still better than everybody else is, is what I'm trying to say.
1: And I think I would be a a conference guy anyway. But the stuff like that that you just mentioned makes me be more of a conference guy. You hear all this stuff tired of the SEC, sick of the SEC. Oh, SEC gets two teams in when they shouldn't, and all that. Well, the SEC, and look, this decade, I think 2010 to 19, they won six. Football championships, But if you go back to the last decade and this one, you know, starting with maybe LSU in 07, the SEC won seven football championships in a row. Uh, so they kind of earned the right to get, you know, the, just maybe special treatment or to get all the love and hype uh, that they've been but getting. In the- And if the Big Ten had won seven titles in a row, if Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State had strung together and won seven straight national championships in football, we would not hear the end of it. So I don't mind that the SEC bumps his chest. It just means more that everybody kind of pumps their chest because, you know, everybody else would. And so it becomes his earned right for it. You know, Greg Sankey kind of pumps the chest. He's not even from the South. He's from New York, and he's embraced it. So y'all can just deal with
2: it. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's been different teams. It's Alabama. It's LSU. It's been Florida. You know, it's, it's different teams. It's not just one team kind of running roughshod. It's Auburn, right? It's, it's, it's other yeah. teams kind of rising uh, to that occasion, so it's not just one And if you're talking about BCS Going way back to 98 uh, The team in your neck of the woods, Tennessee Hard to believe, but yeah, Tennessee Won a national championship You know, 20 years ago oh. <laughs> Yeah So so even Tennessee That was pulling for Florida uh, State Yeah, yeah absolutely Because they had Peter Ward I don't know I talk no, so team. much trash yeah, yeah, it was.
1: That was so much trash. I was like, who's – you know, I didn't live down here. That might have been people never, I mean, look, living on the border of Southeastern Kentucky and Tennessee. There were still some Tennessee fans. Uh, but like, who are y'all going to put on Peter Ward? And I think it was Dwayne Goodrich, a corner, who went on to play for the Cowboys for a little bit, they got in trouble with either – Manslaughter, some kind of deal where he ended up not staying in the league long. And, you know, Peter Warwick shut him down. And then, you know, they had Peerless Price and T Martin and all that. But, you know, Tennessee knocks off Bobby Bowser in Florida State. So, you know, chalk it up for the conference, even though it was the balls.
2: And so we've, but we've seen this before. You know, it doesn't get talked about, but on the men's side of, of basketball, Kentucky had that run through the late not, – not Kentucky, I'm sorry, the SEC had that run late 90s into the 2000s. You figure Arkansas won in 94, was run up in 95. Kentucky has three championship game appearances, you know, 96, 97, 98. And then in 2000, Florida is in the title game. So, you know, even 2014. Florida and Kentucky in the final four. So, this notion that, that, that you know, I, I beat my chest a little bit uh, for the SEC. Uh, but again, LSU, tremendous, tremendous game. Uh, they deserved a season for the ages. Uh, do nothing but, but tip your hat. And and I hate looking ahead uh, in, you know, with the too early, because you don't know how teams are going to look. Mm uh, <clears throat> right now. So I get why we do it, but I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, let, let these teams enjoy the championship. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm in the same boat. But, you know, so much stuff can be, you know, you can quickly put out tweet. information just goes so fast that just, you know, people don't even save stuff anymore. It's, it's, everybody's just on to the next thing. You know, fan bases, not everybody, but a lot of people. I mean, uh, and it's been that way for a while, and and it's not going to stop, you know. (laughs) LSU fans will be disappointed if they drop a couple games next year, you know. I'm not saying they'll be going to run off, but the joy will fade sooner than it should.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So again, good good job for the for the Bayou Bengals. They get to still be the Tigers and still get to call their uh, their stadium Death Valley. I think that was part of <laughs> that was really right. part of it.
1: Uh, and who did I read? I think I read an article by uh, Dan Woken because had come on EJ uh, had Clemson won, that would have been. It would have been a, a, a marvelous accomplishment. It would have been three titles in four years. Um, but just the fact that he's still, you know, all the whining he did, I think it was Dan Wolkin, incessant whining, little old Clemson, which isn't the case. Had Clemson won, that's all you would have heard. All they would have been talking about was how disrespected they had been all season, and they would have played that up even more. And it was already annoying. So uh, with LSU winning, we don't have to hear all of that out of Dabo. And It's so crazy how quickly he made them unlikable. Most of the time, you know, Clemson won a title in 80 or 81, uh, had great players, you know, throughout the years. But when they first beat Alabama, you know, everybody was tired. Alabama was happy for Clemson, you know, uh, cool to see somebody new. Oh, you know, Clemson took down mighty Alabama, but Dabo quickly made them annoying, and you got to the point where, you, look, you're tired of Clemson, maybe quicker than we should have been, just because of the way they carried on, and with LSU winning, we didn't have to, to hear all of that either.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not a Dabo fan, just on his stance with paying players and, and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not a... But that's just a... You know, that, that's a but he's got a great thing going in Clemson, and they're going to be reloaded next year. And, and Trevor Lawrence is going to come back with something to prove. So it's going to be scary for yeah. you know, Clemson's opponents next year. <laughs> when you talk about getting mm-hmm. getting back, if you can bring a quarterback back that you know has won 29 games in a row, loses, and, and you can bring that guy back, yeah, okay, yo, know, <laughs> no one's going to feel sorry for you in that situation.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, Kentucky still, you know, up nine, in control. You know, if not for the turnovers, they could probably have this stretched out to double digits already. Uh, They had eight points. It was eight to two or eight to nothing. They had six turnovers. So, um, and, you know, you can go nitpick. Past two or three games, Hagen's has just had some awful turnovers at the start, you know, dribble off his leg or he'll fall down or just make a silly pass. It's not really characteristic, and then, you know, they kind of tighten it up the rest of the way. Uh, Turnover bug kind of hit everybody to start this one, but they're still up 19-10. to 10. Uh, So they, they've kind of helped. They tried to help South Carolina, but South Carolina's just not very good. So you just do what you got to do and put them on out their misery. And, you know, head on and start getting ready for Arkansas if, once you get this
2: one yeah.
1: in the and,
2: bag. And, and what we're seeing, uh, I handled the post-game uh, the other day for, uh, who did played play the other day? Man, I'm losing my mind. Uh, Alabama. <laughs> Alabama. Wow. I am struggling. Nate Oates. <laughs> Nate Oates, the old Buffalo coach. Uh yeah. Hagen didn't play well, but almost messed around and and got a triple double. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the turnovers still a, li- a little high, but uh, I think we've got our our five. Uh, it was uh, Sustina. No, I'm sorry. It was Nate, not Nate. Nate Sustina is the same person. It was EJ that played. I, I thought played really really well against Alabama. Uh, so th- the roles are being figured out. You know, uh, the one thing I don't think. Coach Cal gets a lot of credit for is how well he he, he, he coaches. Like I talked about with Coach uh, Ogeron in uh, LSU, uh, Cal year in and year out, this is the time he kind of figures out what kind of team he has. Right? It's usually first of the year in the end of December, we kind of figure out how the pieces are going to fit together. And he's got to do that every year. Most coaches know uh what what kind of players they're going to have and how the team's going to work before the season starts. And I, you know, I talk about mm-hmm. how going to the high pick and roll uh, with Brandon Knights and Josh Harrelson and how that was, how the offense got rolling in 2011 and and just, the, you know, the, the lob capabilities of 2012 and just doing different things. And, and granted, it's his that's how he sets up his program, but still that doesn't mean it's not difficult to do. So he's finally figured out the roles of everybody on the team. I think we're still going to see Whitney uh, have a flash, Brooks. We're going to need those guys to have a big game at some point down the road, whether it's you know hopefully not wood not injury, but foul trouble or what have you. Those guys have got to be able to play, and I think Cal does a really good job of keeping guys, even if they're not playing, he does a great job of keeping guys engaged. And I'll point folks to Marcus Lee in 2014, who had like 12 straight coaches, you know, did not play coaches' decision before exploding in the Elite Eight against Michigan. So, you know, Cal does a really good job with that, of letting guys know, hey, keep working because we're going to need you. And I'd like to see us continue that this year. Uh, with these guys, but I feel confident. Again, I don't think we're going to go 18-0 in conference, uh, but I think 15-3, 14-4, I think would be acceptable. Uh, I'm not worried about seeding. I've been saying for a long time that unless Kentucky is historically great, 2015, 2012, uh, 2010, uh, 96, unless we are, unless we go to the tournament the number one overall seed. Kentucky gets screwed when it comes to seeding, so it really doesn't matter. Like, I don't care what we do. Even if we go 18-0, and win the SEC tournament, they're still going to go back to Evansville, still going to go back to Utah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it just, you know, we're we're still going to – and I'm not saying that we get screwed, but I'm saying we kind of get screwed when it comes to seeding, so it doesn't matter. Uh, You know, my thing is, as well, what we have seen from – a couple years ago in Virginia, you got to come ready to play every game. Like it doesn't matter anymore. It used to matter. Hey, if we can you know be a top two or three seed, you get that one cupcake game, and then okay, we got five more. No, you got to come ready to play from the jump, or you will get beat. So uh, you know I understand you know you know when it comes to seeding who we see where, but I've seen different mock drafts or mock drafts, mock brackets, and I'm like. Give that to me. Uh, I, I saw one. Gonzaga's the one. Uh, we we're like a four seed. I'm like, give that to me. All day long, i take that. You know, and, and honestly, there's no yeah. team I'm even scared to play. Like I said about my 49ers, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's nobody. Everybody's looked great. Everybody looked not great. Duke got beat the other night. Michigan State didn't look great, won a bunch of games in a row, and got the Blake beat off of them uh, by Purdue. You know, yeah. no team has looked unbeatable. Uh, but Ohio I, State's I do- still like in the funk
1: since they play Kentucky. They fell apart after they beat you
2: Kentucky. Know, <laughs> yeah, so there's that, and uh, yeah, I mean that's just yeah, yeah. Uh, so for for my money, I'm, I'm not. Uh, Care to play anybody, uh, I know it'll be tough.
1: And you mentioned, and I don't know what that call was on Sustina or Maxie. You mentioned Cal trying to continue to to work to work on guys like you know and Marcus Lee. How that paid dividends, and you know he helped. Look, they don't win the Michigan game without Marcus Lee that year. Uh, Still talking about, you know, I keep mentioning, and I'm not the only one, the potential for contributions from Juzang and and Khalil Whitney. And you mentioned helping guys along, try to bring them along and help them work on stuff while you're winning. And the classic example right now is I don't know the plus minus and all that or how many minutes he's played, but Khalil Whitney has got some run in this first half. And you know, trying to keep him engaged, trying to give him confidence. You know, uh, article I think Larry Vault had a piece about how he's still humble and and battling and, and trying to stay positive, even though nothing has gone his way all years virtually. And they've thrown him out there for uh, quite a few minutes in this first half. Yeah,
2: it, and and that's. Look, Cal has said this post-game. I've talked about this at the, on the post-game show uh, on ESPN 680. But Cal wants his guys – he's looking for opportunities to get guys run. And sometimes with Brooks and Whitney, they come in, there's a bad shot or a missed assignment. You can't do that really if it's a six-point game. Like, I think he wanted to get them some run against Bama, but Bama closed the gap and made it – you know, it was a five-, six-point game for a stretch. You can't really let a guy figure it out at that stage. Because as Cal says repeatedly, he says, he's trying to win ball games. So with a two-possession game or something like that, you really can't let those guys kind of figure it out. So I'm hoping there's an opportunity for these guys to get some extended run so they can can figure it out.
1: And Max, you got a
2: technical
1: for just – Trying to catch an alley oop and missing, and then hanging on the rim with a dude underneath him. Cause I was looking for a travel, I was looking for a charge. I'm like why are we stopping play? I got it muted, but he got teed up for hanging on the rim. For goodness' when he hit a free throw, uh, just anything go his way. The cats up nine, he's still getting to play. Look, stuff like that. We keep uh, already mentioned, you know, Cal and Columbia don't always jive. A couple more of them calls, and Tyrese Max will be doing coaching like Tyler. He was, come on, Whitney, man. You <laughs> can't catch a break. can't catch a break. And look, with all this is still up nine. Could be up 15, but it's, it's not like you feel worried or nervous that they're going to you know, blow this. They're just, Whenever they get it they together got, and put it, their it, foot on their neck, you know. But, yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah, Is that Whitney? I, there we go, Whitney. Getting my
2: M1. Here we go, quiet.
1: Behind the back. Oh, contact. Got a, little, got, a little, got a little ugly with
2: it. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the team is starting to come around, and we watch the game. <laughs> so we
1: Tom Leach, we're not. The, Tom Leach, we aren't. No, 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 no. <laughs> you say you feel confident with, uh, with this game with, of course, is the whole Kyle's season. Is just, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you
2: know, and 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 this is and sometimes I get on Kentucky fans on Twitter or even here or different shows I'm on. I'm not specifically getting after Kentucky fans uh, because the the, the things that kind of aggravate me is just human nature, right? The first thing is we see something spectacular. We see something amazing. We see something that's once in a generation and we make that the bare minimum, right? We, Mm -hmm. We see Anthony Davis. And Michael Gilchrist, and then we say every freshman that comes to UK needs to be like that guy. Yeah, you know they need to be those guys, and that's not fair, right? Like you see what Anthony Davis is and what he becomes. It's not fair to say everybody needs to be like that guy. Mm -hmm. By the same token, every time we lose a ball game doesn't mean it's going to be like the 2013 team, right? Most Kentucky yeah. teams, most Kentucky teams, are good to very good, and a lot of things have to go right for them to win. You know, for a lot for them to to do well, like 2011, a lot of things had to break for for that team. You know, was a shot against was it was it Princeton <laughs>
0: that
2: that uh, uh, Brandon Knight. had to hit. You know, you know. Uh, in 1998, you know, you look at that, Coach Kay, who had been, to that point, undefeated in the Elite Eight round, undefeated like 9-0, and oh, is up by 17 points and loses. So, you know, we've had some really, really great historical teams, and they haven't always won, but we've had teams that are with a narrower margin of, of, of error go out and be really, really successful. And I know everybody wants to say, you know, the twenty fifteen, twenty twelve team. I I get it. I wish every Kentucky team was like that. Boy, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> you know, wouldn't, so, do wouldn't fun? <laughs> so do the coaches. So do the coaches. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be great if every uh team was a nine was like nineteen ninety six where you've got juniors and seniors and all Americans all it, wouldn't that be fantastic? But unfortunately, that's not reality. The reality is you have a lot of teams that have to figure it out. You know, I, I, I've heard people talk more about like you know that '84 team. Oh, I was on a podcast yeah. with Roger Hart. Roger Hart talking about that team. Uh, the '84 yeah, team was they're... really really good. They have a cold. They have a cold night. Yeah. And the next thing you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're 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 out. That's...
1: That was the final four against Georgetown, I think. I was—I vaguely remember that one. I think that was the one. They just couldn't buy anything.
2: Right. So this this space we're in these last couple of years that people find unbearable, that's really the space U.K. has been in. Really, really good teams that are flawed. What the difference is is we usually figure it out, right? Kentucky you know, under Cal, they haven't all been historically great, but we kind of we figured it out, and I think that's what separates Kentucky from other programs is our off years aren't really that bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. You know, the,
2: the, the team everybody wants to dump on, the 2014 team, still stumbled their way to an NCAA runner up, and that's the thing too. Yeah. So you know, I've been on a lot of. Things talking about, you know, but you look at the top 10 players under the, the decade under Cal, right? And everybody's got their five and then their second five. But what strikes me is names that don't come up, like the Harrison Twins. Anywhere else in America, anywhere else in America, you have an NCAA runner up one year and a final four pins and a thirty eight one record the next year and you get statues built to you. Anywhere else. <laughs> but Aaron Harrison's name doesn't come up. Like anywhere else if he do if he did what he did anywhere else, Aaron Harrison's face is on the side of the arena. But it's just different here. It's just a ridiculous it's just an overabundance of just of riches that just you know they you know uh, a lot of folks Julius Randle's name doesn't come up. And that guy was a double double guy from his first game to his last. Like Keith, people that follow me on Twitter know I talk about the Keith Bogans All Stars guys who played for Kentucky and just are criminally under underrated, overlooked. It's Keith Bogan. He's fourth all-time leading scorer. He's top ten in the fifth and steal and everything. But his name just doesn't come up. And under Cal, I would say Julius Randle's on that team. I would say Deron mm-hmm. Lamb is on that team. Oh, man. I mean, I had to, I had to take a break from Twitter because there was a poll a, a year or so ago talking about, you know, Who's, your, who's the best three-point shooter that, that we've had under Cal? It was Monk and Murray and I forget who else. You know who wasn't there? Deron Lamb.
1: No Lamb? Oh, my goodness.
2: And Lamb is just statistically the best three-point shooter we've had. Barely nudging out in front of the show. Personal friend Cameron Mills by some, by some points, but still a notch ahead. And he only scored twenty two points in the championship game. And that's why I try to tell people, like, look, when Anthony Davis said, Look, I'm one for ten, I'm not scoring, somebody else had to score, and it was Deron Lamb. He was the guy. But we don't we don't we don't talk about that. You know, I think one of the, the great debates you can kinda have is, you know, who's the best point guard? I think that's a great debate. You know, John Wall. I think you put him up there, but I think with John Wall, it was more of everything else. I mean, he played great. Don't get me wrong, but it was everything else that came with John Wall that kind of, I think, clouds our memory, right? He was a rock star when we even got on campus. And then this John mm-hmm. Wall band, and it, it just became a, a thing. And his play was great, but, you know, for me, I go with Tyler Ewan. And the reason I go with mm. Tyler Eulich is because I covered, I can't remember what game it was, but Cal, and it started with the South Carolina game, where where Eulich just became a coach. Uh, I covered a game and post-game, when somebody asked Cal about what they were running, and he said, hey, this is what Tyler wanted us to do. And what? <laughs> like Cal completely <laughs> gave control of the team to Eulich. That counts a lot in my book. You know, I think personally, one of those great one oh, What if uh, in Kentucky history is what if De'Aaron Fox was health was healthy that entire year? Because remember, he had some he had some mm. injuries. You know, what if? No. Because when the light shone brightest, he was ready to go. Right. So. There's, and there's been a lot of point guard Brandon Knight, a guy that he was the man from day one. I think he's up there as far as point guards who got on campus ready to run. Because uh-huh. I think he had like a twenty That's point, probably... six or seven assists. Uh, you know, one of his first games out, he was ready. He was ready for prime time. He came to campus ready. So he uh, might be my day, pick. I guess they're fun to have. Uh, They're fun to have, but I think where I get frustrated is oh, they've gotten close here. Hopefully, the cats can take a lead in halftime. But Mm -hmm. um, you can say, "Hey, I prefer this guy for this reason," without being negative, right? Like you you don't need the the dump on somebody, particularly if it's a (laughs) Kentucky. If it's a Kentucky guy, like all these guys have contributed to the, the 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 program, I guess you could say. So there's no reason to dump on a guy, uh, but Tyler Ulyss, I mean, he he like I said, he he won the he didn't win those awards by accident. So, uh, but I just think it's 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 interesting when we kind of break down, you know, the ten years and who does what and, and who is rated how and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's just players that get left out. I liken it to uh, my Lakers, where when you look at great Lakers and who gets statues and who does everything, Elgin Baylor just got his within the last couple of years. Elgin Baylor. Like, do you know how deeply, like what, like Algin Baylor, and and I hate to say he's an afterthought, but it's like, oh yeah, Elgin Baylor. Oh. You know, Shaq got his, Magic got his, talking about Kobe getting his, and and you know, and, and all these guys are. Like, oh, that's right, Elgin Baylor. Yeah,
1: that is that is, is crazy.
2: Uh, so. Uh, got, you know, and and for your rockets, I understand it's a little bit easier to to pick a who does what for your rockets. I, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to
1: go. I guess I have to go. You know, put Calvin Murphy at the point. I guess. Chris Paul's only there for a couple of years. We got Hagen hurt. That one is. Arm or elbow or something.
2: I know what I want well, to do. Levy just got hit. Levy just
1: got hit in the uh,
2: that area. Hard to see. Uh, what do you show, want to bring up? Uh, there's a show on SB Nation on YouTube uh, that's called Untitled, where they look at great players that didn't win. And kind of break down why instead of just the easy, easy answers. Uh, I watched. Uh, there's one on Charles Barkley, which was really, really good. Like it's easy to say it was just MJ, but it breaks down kind of year by year, uh, playoffs by playoffs, kind of what happened. Uh, Steve Nash is a real good one. I had I didn't realize, or I just didn't remember that those Steve Nash sons, they made a couple of Western Conference Finals. Like I. Hadn't I guess I hadn't computed that, and uh, even with the, the Mavericks that had made one. Uh, but the one about Charles Barkley was interesting, and I thought you would appreciate it, because uh, there's a little section, little segment, that really kind of went into depth how good Hakim Elijah Warren was during 94-95. And my argument has been forever and ever. Everyone just assumed that if Jordan had kept playing, the Bulls would win eight straight. And I have long been on the in the camp of man. I don't think anybody was beating Elijah one those years uh, because I know you remember the the '95 playoffs where it looks like the uh, the Rockets were you know they did not have home court advantage in any series they went to a bunch of game yeah, six feet. and game seven. And and in those game sevens, Hakeem was ridiculous. Like, uh, I think it was, maybe it was 95 against the Suns. Absolutely was like 40 points and 14, 15 rebounds and a bunch of just ridiculous. I'm like, ain't nobody beating that guy like that. But it's a great show. It makes you think a little bit. Uh, there's one on Barry Bonds, why he didn't win. So it's those three, and I'm missing somebody, Randy Moss. SB uh, Nation has some really good kind of mini documentaries where it's 15, 20 minutes per, uh, but they give you some really great details. So I've watched that. Uh, I've watched one they call Rewind where they look at a particular play and give you the history leading up to it, uh, a real good one on that. Is uh, Scottie Pippen not coming into the game in 94 uh, against the Knicks because the play was called for Tony Kukoc? <laughs> and so it gives uh, a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah how did that happen? But it gives a bunch of uh, background on how they got to that situation. You know, Jordan retired, how Kukoc got to be on the team, all that kind of stuff. So very, very, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, so I, I I enjoy
1: those mostly. Yeah, I definitely have to have to check those out. Uh, and I'm looking. Oh, to, oh, one. I'm sure you are. The uh, the the last dance, the ten part documentary coming out in June on the Bulls, and they are interviewing everybody, like Barkley and Oprah and anybody that was anybody but, back but then. But why Justin
2: Timberlake? That's what I don't understand. Why Justin <laughs> Timberlake? Like I'm trying to figure that out. Like he wasn't, but he wasn't even like a star. Like he, he was not a star during that point in time. That's what I don't understand. Like I, I and he's not from Chicago. That's the only person they've from shown. Me like, well, who can't?
1: Yeah, he's from Memphis, down in Rombalee.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's a Memphis guy. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what his uh, what what his contributions are going to be. But I, I love these little documentaries. They break it down. Uh, another one they have is uh, Collapse, Ooh. where they look. Did you at just the
1: Georgia score. I was, I'm sorry. I just flashed up the Georgia score, and Anthony Edwards is killing Tennessee. He's he's kind of hot. 13 points and in 13 minutes, essentially, against Tennessee. 32-19, Georgia over Tennessee in Athens. It just showed the highlights, and he's he's, he's, he's warm. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was going to ask about him anyway because Kentucky just played them, play them again in a couple of weeks. I didn't pull up all their stats, like how many shots he's taken in comparison to the whole team, but he shoots a lot. I know it was Kentucky was one of his options. It came down to Kentucky and Georgia and whoever else. The dude shoots a lot and we know how Cal rolls. He ain't about having just one dude take a bunch of shots. Do you think what do you think, how do you think Anthony Edwards would have done had he been in Kentucky
2: Kentucky? Would it have
1: been a lot of knocking heads? How would he have fit in offensively? Would he still be wanting to try to take a bunch of shots, or did he just, you know, because you just can't be fighting shooting any old time you want to play Kentucky.
2: And 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 things work out. First first things first. I'm not going to be one of these Kentucky fans. We didn't want him anyway. That's not true. Cal Cal recruited him. <laughs> they wanted it. Okay, <laughs> let's you know. But I also say that a lot of the times when we don't get somebody, it generally works out, right? Like we see Mm -hmm. James Wiseman in that situation. And we kind of see how that's kind of gone, not according to anybody's plan. Uh, You know, just looking at some of the guys we've missed out on. And, look, I'm not going to fault a kid or anybody because it's, it's clear, Anthony Edwards wants to shoot 20-plus times a game. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Then if that's the case, then then Kentucky is not for you, and that's fine. You know, you do your thing, we're going to do our thing. Like, that's not going to be where you're going to get 30 shots a game. So you have to go somewhere where you're going to be able to do that. So I don't, I don't fault kids that don't want to buy into it. I get it. Uh, but it would have been those things if, if we had had Anthony Edwards, okay. Then we're looking at a, a really, really good team. You know, it's kind of hard not to think that, but if he's not having the mindset of uh, being a willing passer, like Cal says, and, and working into mm-hmm. uh, a team concept, then, you know, it's kind of a, Okay, glad glad you're not here. You, you know, good luck. Like Trey Young a couple of years ago, there was no way he's going to show uh-huh. off his skills in Lexington like he did in Oklahoma. None. Uh-huh. Like it just right. it, it wasn't it wasn't going to work. And I think that's what makes like what Malink Monk did against uh, uh, North Carolina so no, noteworthy, is because we never thought we could see a, a cow guy just do that not saying we didn't have guys that couldn't do it. I just never thought we would see that.
0: But <laughs>
2: the cow would be okay with that. Uh, but no, he's a phenomenal kid. I Georgia mm-hmm. that Georgia game, I think it said more about Tom Cream than any of the players. Uh their opportunities for Georgia to get back into the game. And they they just didn't. Uh, I've talked about with uh, there was some you put if you don't put Nate Fistina in a pick and roll when you're playing Kentucky, that's on you. That's that's been a go to move for a lot of teams to get either a foul or a bucket. is, Is making Nate move. Love him. He fights really hard to get back into position, but that initial motion, that initial action, puts a lot of stress on Nate kinda of away from the basket. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Georgia Georgia went away. Even back.
1: on the baseline. Even on the baseline. He'll give up yeah. baseline. When you
2: know so but the thing is, and we have seen this with guys, uh I'm thinking Kyle Wich, Kyle Wilcher, I'm thinking Derek mm-hmm. Willis, and I don't mean to pick on the, the white players, but guys that aren't strong right. defensively individually but you can still be a great, great team defensive player. And Cal does a really good He's job weak. of moving guys around and putting them in positions where they can excel. I, you know, I was as shocked as anyone when Derek Willis became like a shot, like a rim protector for that stretch on that squad, yeah. if you remember that. He was weak side and, and really coming over and really protecting the rim on that team, uh, for that team. So, Uh, Cal does a good job with that. Uh, And, you know, talking about Cal not getting his due, honestly, as far as defense, I mean, he's getting these five-star kids to buy in on the defensive end. Like, even when you look at the 2013 team, before Nerland got hurt, that team was playing well defensively. Whatever you think of Archie Goodwin, and Ryan Harrow and stuff on the offensive end. Defensively, that team was really, really good, which is why I think the argument can be made that if New Orleans doesn't get hurt, that team's at least a tournament team. You know, he was on pace to uh, break or at least challenge Anthony Davis' school record uh, for a season blocks. Yeah. Also, he was on pace for Rajon Rondo steals in a season. Think about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about it. But whatever he was offensively, and I think it's fair to say, okay, even at this date, he's he's, he's offensively not going to ever be a juggernaut. But defensively, the dude was special. You know, we talk about that game where he had the four fouls against uh, Ole Miss and put on a show with 12 blocks. It's (laughs) ridiculous. One of the best defensive performances I have ever seen at the collegiate level. So that team defensively was very, very good. You know, I would even say that the 2016 team, for what Marcus Lee and and and, Poitras and those guys on the block weren't doing defense or offensively. I think defensively they were still pretty good. Marcus Lee was a pretty good shot blocker. Just didn't have any post moves. Loved the kid, but that you know it is what it is. So Cal mm-hmm. does a lot of things that 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 doesn't get a lot of credit. Uh, because you can see how things can go south. Look at North Carolina right now. I mean, oh, that is a – you know, we've talked about Tennessee and the streak against Kentucky and finally – but uh, but this team to let Clemson come in and be the first team ever in 59 <laughs> tries to beat North Carolina in North Carolina, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see people – Oh boy, he's got to go. No man, like the 2017 banner is still it's still fresh. Like you don't you don't get run off, but it still just goes to show you that any program, any program, is susceptible to a step back year. Any program. And I know you see me on social media talking about because uh, cause everybody loves to bring up the 2013 team. It's like you got to tell the whole story, right? And I'm like, any team in the country, any program in the country, you could say, look, for the next five years, you're going to get four Final Fours, a runner-up finish, and an NCAA title. But one of those years you're going to NIT. Who says no? Who says no uh-huh. Like, Like, if you're Virginia... Yes, yeah, you lost to a 16 seed and blah, blah, blah. But, hey, you want a title. Like, it it kind of takes the sting out of it. Speaking of which, talking about the Astros and baseball. Yes. The, the whole mechanics of Astros. Uh, here's my thing when it comes to the punishment. If it is a punishment where most people say, yeah, I'd do that. I'd give that up then it's not much of a deterrent. I understand that Manfred is um, beholden to the NLB Constitution and there's all kinds of things like that. And essentially he works for the owners, so you know, trying to punish an owner is kind of weird. But most fans, from what I saw in my social media interaction, saying $5 million and a couple of draft picks, Oh, we give that up all day. Yeah, we give that up all day for that. So I don't know, but I don't know how you fix that. I don't know what the answer would be. Do you do you pull the, vacate the World Series? I don't know how you, I don't know what the answer is, but it just seems like it was a little too light for, for a lot of people. from an organizational standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I understand guys lost their jobs. I I get that. Uh, but, yeah. But even with that yeah. being too right, I would say that in comparison to what we've seen the NFL do when it comes to the Patriots, it seems a whole lot more. Right? Like, The NFL did a whole big thing on inflated, deflated footballs, which was gibberish, but they've not done nearly enough on the stuff that we know the Patriots are doing that's against the rules. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And – which, I mean, the core came from Houston – a lot of the Astros people used to work for the Cardinals. The Cardinals were doing some shady stuff a while back. Um, I don't know. The whole thing, it, like, yeah, the, the flight gate stuff was a makeup call <laughs> or makeup punishment for Spygate for sure. Um, you know, Belichick and, and Kraft. Whatever they got fine was pocket change too. Uh, and then was it was it Spygate? Didn't the video did that was that the video they got thrown away or, or Brady's cell phone got broken or something, I mean stuff. Just you stuff know
2: like, yeah. really. And there's a you know <laughs> and there's a lot of of that kind of stuff, glad handing of the Patriots, that uh, for all their championships, they're not going to be as beloved as the Chicago Bulls because Mm -hmm. there's all this kind of overhanging. And with Spygate, those first couple of Super Bowls, the Patriots were just winning by a field goal where I, I think a play here, a play there, absolutely can tilt the game. I mean, and, and when you look at uh, what the Astros did, you know, I, I think we can stop saying allegedly, look at their split, mm-hmm. home and road. The 2017 playoffs, they're 9-1 at home, 3-7 and seven on the road, or something, something like that. And it's just dramatically different. Points, uh points for hit runs per game. I mean it's just home runs, it's just dramatically different. And you just you can't tell I don't think you can sell to people that yeah, they get a bunch of cheating, but it didn't affect the outcome of the game. Number one, then why would they do it? And number two, obviously it did. Like, we mean the cheating. You know, and, and for me, this cheating is even more brazen and even has more impact on the actual game than what you of L got their banner taken down for. Right. I. I, I so, and, you know, if, and if you're a Dodgers fan, if you're in the Dodgers, like, wow. You know, there's exactly. a reason Clayton Kershaw looked, looked mortal uh-huh. against the Astros. And you, Darvish, looked mortal. Uh-huh. The whole thing about you – tipping his pitches. Well, come on. And and this is where my frustration with baseball comes in is baseball, it encourages cheating but only up to a point. And, and that's my where well, I guess I don't get all into baseball like I used to. It's like what cheating is allowed and expected versus what cheating actually, you know, I I, I don't know if I'm wording that correctly, but there seems to be an awful big leeway uh, on this whole cheating thing. You ain't cheating. You ain't trying. Who who raised you? Like, I mean, come on. I wasn't raised that way. (laughs) You know? So I, I, baseball it, it it's weird, it's got these unwritten rules, and you know if you can figure out the signs, you can use it, but this was the next step in the wrong direction you know and there's a lot of muddy waters in baseball that just it just never really set well with me mhm yeah
1: but and, and that and it is just. Accepted the whole Old school cheating Now this You know they got a problem with the Apple watch cheating and The camera Center field camera And then you you know bang on the trash can To let them know what pitch is coming But if it's just old school Cheating it's fine Like you said that next step is what Has got everybody in the uproar Uh, And the same thing NASCAR too has just been accepted You ain't cheating you ain't trying You can do something with your chassis or whatever and win a race and still pass an inspection at the end. It's just, quote, unquote, part of that culture. It's just, ah, it's fine. Just, you know. Yeah. And, you
2: know, I just, you can't explain to, to, I want somebody to explain the difference between all this and, and, you know, and Barry Bonds Still not going into the Hall of Fame Like it just I, I don't get it <laughs> And we've already got oh, cheaters wow. in the Hall of Fame Oh, force that turnover Quickly uh-huh. Exactly <laughs> <laughs> so, uh-huh.
1: and Hit the floater and then Harass the Ooh, inbound yeah. Single handedly
2: Quick. If he doesn't do it fast. He does it quickly. That's
1: right. So That's I'm, right. Uh, I think I'm a little bit ahead of <laughs> you because I'm yeah, not I'm on the. It. I'm upstairs. I'm not on the high desk. Oh. So. Uh,
2: but but dayfall has got a, a lot to kind of figure out. I don't know how they move on. The the, the hammer I think will still come down on the, uh, on the Red Sox. Um, and I think it has to, right? Mm-hmm. Could, yeah. But if you're in you these know, other teams already of people cheating, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. for me that's uh you know, it, that that that's tough to be on the the losing end when you know these guys were not playing on the up and up.
1: You were mentioning the. UK point guards over Cal's past ten years. We we can't let this show get away from us without mentioning Shea Gibbs Alexander and his 2020 triple double. Youngest NBA history to do that. You know, 21 years and 100 and I think 185 days old. Uh, but a 2020 triple double with the Thunder. You um, you see why. Go we'll ahead quickly. You see why Doc Rivers and the Clippers, you know, they wanted to trade and, and get Paul George, and they knew they were trying to get Kawhi and, and all that. But you can see why they hated so bad the part which they give to Alexander. They knew what they had. He was showing out as a rookie in the playoffs against the Warriors, you know, the, before the you know the injury bug beat Golden State. But he just went to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma City. Second year, playing with a Hall of Famer in CP3. But he, look, he's still doing his thing. I, I was kind of worried that man, great rookie season and Bo trade traded. How's he gonna respond? He, you know, you're just a young kid. Uh, would well, that change the scenery? You know, kind of cramp his style. Would it, you know, would, would it mess up? his promising career, but so far, no, and,
2: you know, made history the other night. Yeah, you know, it, and it's going to be – I'm I'm going to be fascinated to look at how the, uh, the All-Star weekend looks. That's coming up here next month for the NBA. I think there's going to be some representation. I, I think Shea, uh, wow. Yeah, I know the guards out west, it, it's tough, but – at the very least, he's got to be your rising star, right? And he's, I think he's in line for overall most improved players with the way he's been playing uh, out in Oklahoma City. Uh, I think Devin Booker is playing at an all-star clip. Uh, of course, I believe Anthony Davis is as well. I think Cat is mm. as well. So it's like you and I have been saying for the last year that this is the point in time where we're going to start seeing Kentucky guys really come into their own. You know, A.D. Yeah. de facto you know, your top five, top three, whatever you want to, but, but it's the other guys that are kind of uh, coming into it as well. I think Julius Randle's playing well in New York. I mean, New York is a dumpster fire Uh, (laughs) the just uh, atrocious, but he's kind of the bright spot uh, out there. But, but Shay, I I want to root for the young man because when you see uh, the light flip for him, uh, about this time, his freshman year, is when he really got it. So, uh, yeah. since this point, ahead, he's just been on a trajectory to really and truly kind of kind of take things over. And, and uh, he showed out in L.A. for the Clippers, showing out now for the Thunder. I, I think this is this is this young man is really uh, you, you you tip your hat. Nothing but hard work.
1: Absolutely. Uh, speaking of hard work, too, I know we, we talked NFL already with your Niners and the championship games coming up and uh, Joe Brady from LSU going to the Panthers, talking about the Panthers, in a kind of Patrick Willis-esque move, Luke Heakley, the linebacker for the Panthers, 28 29 years old, been there, eight years, retired. Uh, Another example kind of a guy that's gotten himself secure but has taken a beating. Uh, And you watch the Panthers play, whether you're a fan of them or not, he is involved in every play. You know, went down there last year, week one, watched them play the Cowboys in Charlotte. he, you, you can't block him. He's in every tackle. He's in the mix. Uh, you know, knows what the offense is trying to do. Uh, but con concussions, um, and just kind of said this is the right thing to do. Didn't want to, but big picture, this is the right thing to do. And your guy, Patrick Willis, kind of did the same thing a few years ago, uh, retired from the 49ers. Guys aren't staying around forever and just beating themselves all the way into the ground like they used to. You can retire, uh, get yourself set up financially, and still have uh, health and a better quality of life. You're starting to see that more and more.
2: Yeah, and it's all about, you know, Sports Illustrated tweeted out something along the lines of, like, like these guys had all died, retired early. Gronk and all those guys. Uh you I think you just get to a point, you know, Andrew Luck and, and, and Patrick Willis, like you named. Uh hey, look, I have I have been running full speed into other grown men long enough. Like I've I've got my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those guys have had some deep, deep playoff run. Gronk's got a lot of, he's got some some rings and, and Andrew Luck played really, really well. But you just reach the point where like, I don't want to do this. Uh and I'm okay with that because these guys, uh, I, I, mean, I mean, look at uh, during the college football playoff, they had Earl Campbell. And, and, and poor Earl yeah. hasn't been yeah. able to get around on his own in 20 years. Like what What kind of quality of life is that? And, and yeah. we can talk about, oh, you know, Keekley or whoever had more years left, but hey, after we have, Stop cheering! These guys still have lives to leave. Mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about the CTE and all that. I'm just talking about physically getting around. It, that that you know right. that's got to count for something.
1: Mm-hmm. And I forget who it was. Oh, uh, I think a linebacker from the Bills just retired, uh, Lorenzo Alexander. He was about thirty five, thirty six. Uh, self-described, you know, described himself not the greatest athlete. You know, uh, I don't even think he was drafted, but he played like 14, 15 years, made a couple of Pro Bowls, made himself into a really good player. But he said he got to the point where now I'm going to go ahead and retire on my own terms because all the things I have to do to get ready to get himself ready just to get himself ready for the game. You don't just you know, do your thing, practice, blah, blah, blah. Now it was taking days off of practice, special stretching, special massage, all this, all that. I had to get myself ready just to get myself ready is what he said. And that's when he said, now that's when I know that it's time to go ahead and get on out while I, I still can.
2: Yeah, and and Andrew luck talked about it like all he all the rehab you just you get tired of of all the extra mhm and 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 all that all that being banged up and you know and we on the outside can talk about well, you know you're getting paid all this money, I would do x, y and z, no, like no, this isn't you on your j v team this is something completely different this is this is a different level and and God getting ready. For uh, to, to play, like you said, get ready just to get ready. Like you know, Andrew Luck was just going from rehab to rehab to rehab, and and Luke Kuechly has mm-hmm. had at least three concussions that have been documented. You know, these guys, you reach a that's point right. where your body just says no, you can't, you can't do it. You know, and I, I think that's part of it for a lot of us when we reach retirement age. You know, a lot of us have to work a little bit longer than. A professional athlete, the athletes aren't there, but I remember my dad just getting to the point that I don't want to get up, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, even if it's your job and it's your passion and you love it, he's just like, hey, I don't want to do this, I can do something else.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Michelle sent us a link to an article about how we're not the only ones confused about JT being in the Bulls documentary, so I'm uh, definitely going to read that. And uh, Kentucky is stretching their lead out a little bit. Uh, once they kind of you know, stop helping them, you know, you kinda, they're better and they're just going to impose their will. But um, I know you and I definitely remember Chris Silva that played for South Carolina. It seemed like he was there for quite a while, but he's now with the Miami Heat. So it's only fitting now to just talk about it since they're playing South Carolina while we're on the show. I don't know if you saw it a couple of weeks ago, but they surprised him. I I didn't know where he was from, didn't know anything about him. Uh, he was from a country in Africa. I forget the country. But he left and came to the United States to, you know, play basketball, get a scholarship, go to college, uh, and, and has been able to do that. And then uh, it's also now – got into the league with the heat, but they brought his mom over who he'd only seen like once in seven years and surprised him at practice. Uh, and you see uh, bam and Tyler hero and, and Jimmy Butler all there kind of around him as he reacts to seeing his mom walk into, into the gym. I just thought that was really neat. Um, uh, didn't know the backstory on Silva. You know, we just remember seeing him whenever Kentucky would play South Carolina. You know, the guy was active, hustled, worked, uh, physical, and, and, and left it all on the court, but didn't know anything else about it. So I thought, I thought that was really cool that they brought him over, brought his mom over so uh, they could be reunited. And it was, you know, super emotional and it's hard enough to go through college and stuff when you're just living a few hours away from your parents that you've seen all the time. But to only see your mom once in seven years as you're trying to get a college career and a basketball career and working with an NBA, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. So it was cool to see him.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw this on my, on my, uh, on my social media feed. And I love I love stuff like that. You know, when the troops come back and surprise people and when they give the walk on, the scholarship, you know, sign me up for all that. I love all of it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. EJ being a little active, hit a little skyhook there a minute ago. Uh, Kentucky got 13 but 15 left to play. Um, just keep everybody healthy and Keep the pedal down. Uh, glad to see Whitney get some runs. Glad to see EJ trying to make some plays here. Like you said, you know, it's, it's juggling. Everybody's at different spots. Uh, you got to do different things and push different buttons to try to get the most out of everybody come March, but that's, that's where we are now. It's mid-January. And got a month and a half left to try to get everybody where they need to be when it all counts.
2: And and I believe that Cal will get it done. I'm excited. We're almost at that point. Time to finish up and finish watching the game.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: And uh,
1: we'll talk about all this next week. The Lakers will play the Rockets for the first time. Well, next time we're on, so we'll talk about that as well. I hope you have a good experience watching your Niners. Uh, we'll see what they do because we talk about all of that next week, and the game against Arkansas, in addition to whatever happens the rest of the way here. So, enjoyed it. Have a good post game tonight or post game next time you're on. Have a good 680. Whenever you do it, it's always fun listening to y'all. And, uh, cool hearing you in the studio with the fellas. Uh, we'll root for yeah, the rest of the way. Appreciate the uh, share, listening, it. everybody. Yeah. Y'all have a good night for my man Terry. This is Vinny. Another episode of Cat Talk Wednesday. We'll see y'all a week from tonight. Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Thanks again for listening. See y'all next